What will the starting offense for TCU look like in 2024? We'll run it down next here on Lockdown Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're free and available wherever it is you get your podcasts as well. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it is you listen to podcasts in its audio form, you can subscribe on those platforms. I would appreciate that. Give me a rating. Give me a review. We're going to talk some TCU football to start. Tanner McKinney, one of the loyal listeners of the show, he asked me on YouTube a few days ago, what do you think the starting uh, lineup is going to look like for TCU going into 2024? Obviously, it's kind of early. But at this point, I will say, like, there's going to be some position battles. So we can't project it completely. This is still a very early look. There will be injuries. All those things are going to happen. However, um, I mean, at this point, I think they'll go after some more transfer players in the spring. There's a few positions I feel like they might target. But overall, I think they've handled a lot of their uh, haul in the portal. Um, they got their high school class signed. Early enrollees are there. So everything's kind of set. So we're going to do offense today. We'll do defense tomorrow or later in the week, just depending on kind of what the news of the week is. Also later on in the show, man, TCU basketball, another tough loss. They fall to Iowa State over the weekend, and they now have a big game against Oklahoma State on Tuesday at 8 o'clock, uh, about as much of a must-win as you can have in the month of January for the Frogs. They are now 2-3 and three in conference play, in Big 12 play. After that big win against Houston, they've lost two in a row. But we'll start with football today. So the starting offense for this upcoming season. Now, for the sake of um, – for the sake of the, the lineup, I'm going to assume that TC, this is their lineup if they're in 11 personnel, meaning one tight end, one running back, three wide receivers. We're on that down. Obviously, things are going to change. You're going to have some four wide sets. You're going to have some different looks and different possibilities. But I, I feel like 11 personnel is where traditionally they're going to live. That's going to be their base alignment, their base system in a lot of ways. So we'll start with quarterback, and Josh Hoover is your starting quarterback, I believe. I think Ken Seals will have a chance to show what he can do. Um, during camp, he was the transfer that the Frogs brought in from Vandy, and he's had a lot of starts over his career, 30 starts in the SEC, 24 touchdowns, 22 interceptions. Um, really started the entire season as a freshman in 2020, but I believe that he's being brought in mainly for depth purposes, somebody that can sort of bridge the gap between the guy you have now and then the, the hopefully quarterback of the future. Um, and he's also someone that if he has to play in a situation where Josh Hoover's hurt or something happens and he needs to go in there, you feel like you still have a lot of the offense at your disposal with Seals playing there. But I think Josh Hoover is going to be your starting QB. I feel like Ken Seals will be there as your backup. And then Haas Haney will be your third-team quarterback. Now, I'll be curious to see what they do with him. Obviously, the four games that they can use him in is a redshirt possibility. I know he's a great athlete. I do wonder if maybe there will be some special formations or special packages where he's used at times. And I would think primarily that would be to use his legs and his athleticism and that dual threat ability he has. Um, but, you know, that that also feels like something they might tweak with and tinker with in the spring and summer. But if it comes down to it, how much is he going to be used in the game? I don't know. But I, I do feel like that's a possibility as he comes in early, gets a handle on the offense, and hopefully – you know, hits the ground running 
with processing and learning the different verbiage and the different things that he's going to do. At the running back position, I believe your starter is going to be Cam Cook. Now, this is the one position on offense where I feel like they're going to be – they might be active and going to get one more body. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be <clears throat> your, your starting running back necessarily, but somebody who could be a change of pace. Um, really the thing is, like, Cam Cook just hasn't had a lot of – playing experience. He was a freshman last year. Um, you know, he got in games at times, but he didn't really pop on the screen when he was there. Now he's going to have an entire off season to get a feel for what he needs to do. Um, but even with Amani Bailey, like even though there were some question marks there, I did feel more comfortable with him as a starter. And I didn't think he would be as good as he was, but I felt comfortable with him being a starter because you saw the burst, the athleticism, that home run threat ability, when he was in ball games, even though it was typically, you know, when the game was already in hand, kind of salting away the ball game, um, everything was taken care of, and he was just finishing out the, the clock. But you saw that athleticism and that ability to, to get to the next level and run. Didn't really see a lot of that with Cook this year. He'll have his chances to come in and, and make plays. Uh, you know, behind him, obviously, got Trey Sanders, but I think Trey is more of a short yardage back. Like, that's just who he is and what he's going to be. Um, Trent Battle and Corey Wren are guys that they've used sparingly over the last few years. They've used Battle more than Wren. Battle has been primarily a guy that they throw passes to out of the backfield. Um, I did like what I saw from Trent at times when he got the ball in his hands, but for whatever reason, he hasn't, you know, typically gotten many carries. And that could just be as simple. I mean, the reason could be as simple as there have been other guys in front of him that they like more. But bottom line is he just hasn't carried the rock a ton. And then you have some true freshmen um, who are really intriguing. Jeremy Payne and Nate Palmer, maybe one of those guys can emerge as well. You're going to need two running backs. I'm not sure who it's going to be, but you're going to need two backs to carry the the offense. And possibly Trey Sanders getting healthier, um, he can do that. But last season it seemed like his role was essentially going to be, you know, third and two, fourth and one. Let's give him the ball and see if he can break a few tackles, even if you don't get – a great push from your offensive line. Hopefully you can, you know, break through and get something going. Um, we'll go to the offensive line next. So at left tackle, Bless Harris, I believe, is going to be your guy. The transfer from Florida State, uh, who started at Florida State a couple of years ago and was a starter at times at Florida State last season but dealt with injuries. And that's really been the story of, of Harris's career. He was at Lamar before he came to Florida State, but he's been really effective when he's been healthy. It's just a matter of keeping him on the field. But I don't see anybody else at the moment that's really going to challenge him at that tackle spot. So I have Bless Harris at left tackle. At guard, I'm going to go Carson Bruno from Louisiana Tech. Now, Cade Bennett's also a transfer. Bruno actually played tackle at La Tech. Bennett played uh, guard at San Diego State. But Bennett's still working on, according to Jeremy Clark, Bennett's still working on graduating. Um, and so he won't be he won't be at TCU until the summer. And so – I think it's going to be hard for him to challenge for a starting job when he gets here late. Um, at center, I'm going to go with Colton Deary. I think that's it's his job to lose. You know, John Land's moving on. Deary played a lot of snaps last season at the guard and center position, and so I think he's going to be the incumbent that could push for that job. And then at the other guard, I think it will come down to Remington Strickland and Ben Taylor Whitfield. Um, I'll go with Strickland right now just because he's got more experience in college. You know, he played at AM. He was a reserve, but he played a number of snaps at AM before he got here to TCU. Um, but I think the good news is with Bennett and, and Whitfield, um, you got some guys who hopefully 
you got good options, and hopefully there will be good competition there in the spring and summer. Um, you can kind of mix and match. And if somebody goes down, you'll have some depth there. I think last season, you know, when Brandon Coleman went down immediately, they're going to a true freshman in Whitfield. That kind of told you what they thought of the rest of that room. There, there weren't many great options. If when your one of your five guys goes down, then you put Whitfield in there as a true freshman. There's not a ton of true freshman linemen that are going to come in and immediately be just physically and mentally ready for power five football. And then at tackle, uh, the other tackle, I'm going to Mike, Michael Nichols. And Mike is, again, a, a player that's dealt with injuries in the past. Um, when he's been on the field, he's been effective. I, I really thought Howard Sampson, it was going to be an uphill battle for him. He was the player from North Texas that tra- committed to TCU and then eventually committed to North Carolina. Um, I thought it was going to be good to have him in camp, though, as someone who could at least, you know, push the other tackles for maybe that spot. And honestly, like, Behind Nichols, I guess Tommy Brockermeyer is, but he's coming off a back injury. I just, I have my doubts that he's gonna be able to come off a back injury that was season ending last year and that he'll be ready to go um, going into the start of the season. But that's the other name that I can think of that would be a possibility at one of those tackle spots. So those are your five guys, and it's a lot of new faces. I mean, essentially, other than Colton Deary, and if Nichols wins the job, you're gonna have three new linemen that have never played at TCU before. Um, I mean, they played snaps at other colleges, so it's not like they're complete unknowns. But it's still it's still concerning because that's a position group where you have to have communication and everybody has to understand their assignment and they have to work cohesively and as a unit to get the job done. And so that will be the challenge for A.J. Ricker and this coaching staff as they, uh, you know, get ready to embark on a new season. At the receiver position – um, going into this next year, I think honestly, it's pretty straightforward what you're looking at. At the X, at the X position, you're going to have Savion Williams, um, one of those outside wide receivers. Savion was, you know, their most productive player other than JP Richardson last year. Definitely their most productive outside wide receiver. I really liked what he brought to the table when he got to the ball in his hands and when he got out and ran last year. Um, at the Z wide receiver, I feel like Eric McAllister is going to be the, the man to watch there. You know, Dalen Wright will have a say in that too. I think he'll be ready to come in and compete as well, but it feels like it's, it's Eric's job to lose Had over 800 yards at Boise state last season, the transfer from the Broncos. Now outside of those guys, I mean, at that outside wide receiver spot, I think Berlin James can bring some good things to the table. Uh, the former top 100 recruit who spent his true freshman year at Notre Dame, um, you know, and I mentioned Dalen Wright, like he'll be there behind Eric McAllister. And that's a pretty good group of four guys on the outside, big bodies, guys that can run, guys that can make plays. So I think that's a good spot. And then at the um, at the Z, or excuse me, at the, I guess, inside wide receiver position, the slot receiver position, you'll have J.P. Richardson as your starter, and then most likely JoJo Earl behind him. Um, and you could have a pretty fierce rotation there too. I think Major Everhart will be – a factor in that. I think Jordan Bailey could be a factor, but J.B. Richardson and JoJo Earl are going to be the guys. And I'm excited for JoJo Earl. I I feel like he showed some flashes towards the end of last year where you saw, okay, this is why TCU was excited about him when they signed him as a transfer, because you you see the ability to make plays and separate and go up and get the football. Um, J.P. Richardson was our most consistent receiver last season, so he should be ready to rock and roll. For another year, and then you got some young guys behind them who can hopefully make an impact. And then the tight end spot, Drake Dabney. 
um, is going to be the guy. Drake Dabney, the transfer from Baylor, who had over 600 yards receiving last season, explosive player, good with the ball in his hands. So I think that'll be your starting lineup as of now for 2024. Now, I'm sure there'll be changes. I'm sure there'll be some guys that emerge as, you know, potential options. But I, I feel like it's a good group. You know, you got good skill players. Running back to me is still a question mark. Hopefully we'll have more confidence in that as we go into the season. Um, but it's going to come down to can Josh Hoover make plays and can they protect him? You know, can this offensive line be better than they were last year? Because last season so much of their issues were just came down to the fact that they couldn't get pushed in the run game. They really struggled um, to have a clean pocket for the quarterback. And that, you know, that hurt the team overall. So we'll see what it looks like when they all get together coming in to the season. Um, that's your starting offense, I believe, for the 2024 season as we roll along here on Lockdown Horn Frogs. When we come back, TCU basketball takes a tough L at home against Iowa State. That's next. Your team every day. FanDuel, it's the place to go. FanDuel.com slash Lockdown. They still have that great deal going on. $5 bet gets you $150 in bonus bets. One $5 bet gets you $150 in bonus bets at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Uh, you can also use the FanDuel app. You can bet on just, you know, regular money line spreads. You can bet on, you can make prop bets. You can do whatever it is you want to do at FanDuel.com slash locked on or the FanDuel app. One $5 bet. Get you $150 in bonus bets. That's a fantastic value, a fantastic deal. Conference title games coming up this weekend. Lions, just an outstanding story. Outstanding story, excuse me, um, as they make the conference championship for the first time in a really long time. They'll go on the road to take on the San Francisco 49ers. The Chiefs seem inevitable. <laughs> they beat the Bills, and they'll now travel to MNT Bank Stadium to play the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Two really good games coming up, and you can bet on those games at fanduel.com slash locked on or the FanDuel app. FanDuel, official betting partner of the NFL and proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. All right, Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day as we continue on here. Um, let me get my graphics right. Made a mistake when I pressed a few buttons. If you're watching on YouTube, bear with me. Okay, there we go. Uh, so TCU basketball, um, they are now 2-3 and three in conference play. They fell to Iowa State. 73 to 72. Uh, Tamian Lipsy, Iowa State's best player, their starting point guard. He was actually out with a shoulder injury. He's averaged 14 game or 14 points a game this year. And so a really good chance for the Frogs to go win, uh, but they fell behind early and could never recover. Kashawn Gilbert had 20 points on the day. He filled in for Lipsy and did an outstanding job. Um, they also gave up 17 points. Uh, to Curtis Jones, their other guard. So struggled on defense. But the real story of the game was that TCU turned the ball over 27 times. 27 times they turned the ball over. And in the first half, they dug a hole by turning the ball over over and over and over again. Um, they got down 15 to four. They were down by 18 points at halftime. At one point with 11 minutes left in the ball game, they were down by 19 points. They eventually went on a few runs to close the gap. And remarkably, I mean, they had their chances. Micah Peavy had a fadeaway jumper in the lane. It wasn't probably not the shot you draw up and you want if you're talking about, you know, late game heroics, but they're down four. Peavy had a chance to hit a shot to cut it to a two-point game with about a minute left, but the ball rimmed out. And then, you know, after that, it was a free throw contest, essentially. Iowa State wasn't perfect with the line, but they made enough shots um, to, to win the ball game. Travian Tennyson hit a three at the buzzard cut it to a one-point ball game, but 
it was essentially over with about 30 seconds left as Iowa State took care of business. And they go into Shalemar Arena and they win. First home loss for the Frogs. Now two losses in a row and both pretty winnable games. I mean, Cincinnati, they led for pretty much the entire contest. They just melted down at the end of the ball game, goes into overtime and they couldn't finish. And then Iowa State, it was sort of a different story. Um, they get, you know, they get down big. They're able to come back and fight back, but they just dug themselves in too big of a hole to get out of it. Now, Jamie Dixon said after the game, he had some confusing comments to me. He basically, he took responsibility. He was like, listen, you can't win when you have that many turnovers. And he sort of took responsibility for it. But the, what he said, he said he didn't have the team prepared, but then he said he honestly thought he mentioned the ball pressure that Iowa State was going to bring to the table almost too often. Like he made it too much of an emphasis. And so I guess the guards were trying to kind of make plays. They were over dribbling, over penetrating. You know, Iowa State was blitzing them in the pick and roll. They were trying to beat it off the bounce, which is never like, you know, the way you beat getting trapped is by passing and playing clean basketball. And TCU wasn't able to do it. These guards, Jameer Nelson Jr. and Avery Anderson, who I was so complimentary of and their two wins in Big 12 play uh, because they had played so well, they just – they've struggled lately. They've turned the ball over. They've struggled to score. Um, all in all, it just hasn't been a great effort from from your guards. And if you don't have great guard play, you know, that's that's the big issue, I think, with this team offensively in crunch time especially. Um, and Avery Anderson stepped up in a big way against Houston. I think he stepped up in a big way against Oklahoma at times when that game kind of got close. He hit some big threes. But as much as I love Emmanuel Miller – it's tough to run your offense through a big man late in the game. Now, we saw Hunter Dickinson do it at Kansas. There are teams that can do it. But a lot of these college basketball teams, you know, they're going to run a lot of spread pick and roll, a lot of pick and roll at the top of the key, kind of two-man game, slow it down, let those guys create and go to work. And so if you're not able to do that, it's going to be tough to get buckets in the half court late in the game. Um, they were able to get out and run late and, and sort of cut that lead by making things happen in transition, but just a sloppy ball game that led to another loss and another huge missed opportunity. Now, funny enough, I tweeted after the game and I was like, I was really disappointed in the loss. And so I was just like, honestly, all I got today is there's at the time it was 27 days. I think now we're 25 days out, but we basically got three and a half weeks until TCU baseball hits the field and there preseason top five team in the country. They look really good. I think they've got a lot of transfers coming in. They're going to be a salty group. Um, and that was the positive I kind of I kind of brought out of it. Now, of all people, my mom kind of got on me for being negative. Um, she was like, you're were, you were way too negative after that loss. It's Big 12 basketball, which I, I get it. Like, yes, it, this is a, a meat grinder of a league. I mean, Kansas State is 4-1. TCU is currently 10th in the standings at 2-3. and three, But it's an 18-game conference schedule. You know, the, the nature of doing four to five shows a week is that we kind of overreact to all these results. But bottom line is, like, they could very well be four and one, but they're not. They're two and three. And at a certain point, you are what your record says you are. Um, now, they've lost these games in crunch time. It's not like they've gotten blown out by anybody. Even when it looked like they were going to get their doors blown off by Iowa State, they came back and made that a ball game. You know, we all know what happened against Kansas. The Kansas loss didn't really discourage me. The Cincinnati loss and the Iowa State losses are discouraging because they're just missed opportunities, right? Um, and TCU just didn't come out with the energy. I mean, Iowa State, they were down their best player. And you could tell they were like, all right, we're going to turn up the screws on defense. We're going to get after it. We're going to play hard. Um, we're going to make life uncomfortable. We're going to force turnovers and get out and run and get easy buckets. And that was their strategy, and it worked well. Um, and TCU just didn't have an answer until late in the second half, and you can't wait, you know, 
30 minutes to get going on offense and play ball. It's just not going to be effective. They now have a game on Tuesday night against Oklahoma State, which I think is as close to a must-win as possible. The Pokes are winless in conference play. Now, they just took Kansas State to the wire on the road, and K-State at the moment has the best record in the Big 12. They look like they could be the best team in this league. Um, but bottom line is you got to go win that ball game. Like, there's no excuse that, yeah, it's GIA. It can be an intimidating environment. Um all, all the things, all the cliches. It's tough to win on the road. It's probably going to be a desperate and hungry Oklahoma State team, uh, but it better be a desperate and hungry TCU team coming to the table because you got to start putting wins together. You need to get to three and three in conference play. You're going to play Baylor this weekend on the road. Baylor is struggling at the moment, but I mean, I think the Bears are going to be all right. They're really solid, and um, that new arena actually makes for a, a good home court advantage because it's really compact in there and. They get really loud. But TCU's got to find a way to win this next ball game. And you can't keep blowing opportunities. Another disappointing effort against uh, Iowa State. And Jamie Dixon and company are going to have to find some answers. When we come back, an update on TCU women's basketball and their situation. We'll do that next year in Lockdown Horn Frogs, your team every day. So if you haven't followed it, TCU women's basketball, they had to postpone their last two games. Um, against Kansas State and Iowa State, respectively, and postponed. They forfeited the games because they couldn't play. They didn't have enough healthy players to play. They were down to six players in the rotation, and they made the decision. Two of those players were dealing with, like, minutes restrictions, and so they made the decision that it wouldn't be wise for the team to play. And so they had open tryouts, and they said, hey, come try out and uh, see if you can make the team. And they added a player yesterday. Um, Sarah Sylvester, who's actually the middle blocker on the volleyball team. Um, and so they're just moving her over. She's going to be a dual sports star. So it's a really cool story. I mean, I hope for Sarah, she played hoops in high school. She averaged 11 points a game. Um, she's a good shot blocker. Now, I don't know how much she's going to play. I think mainly this is, hey, we need people to be here in practice. We need people to be a great teammate. We need extra you know, people on the bench just in case there's an emergency. But um, she's going to give it a go, and she's going to play volleyball and now basketball. Um, so good for her for trying out, good for the team for getting her signed and putting that together. And they're going to return to action on Tuesday against UCF. Um, Sedona Prince put out a TikTok uh, the other day kind of detailing what happened and saying, listen, like we didn't make this decision. We had a player leave because of family situation. We've had a number of injuries. We had three players with season ending injuries or Sonona's not season ending. I think she's about five weeks out, but um, two players with season ending injuries and Deja Turner and then Jaden Owens. And then Sedona has been out for a while. They had a couple players go down and practice. They've had some players that are working their way back from injury. They're not completely healthy yet. And so that factored into it. I don't even want to respond to like the, the K-State people that are acting like TCU's ducking Kansas state is just silly. Like, now, should they get refunded for their tickets? Yeah, they probably should. But bottom line is, Frogs were probably going to lose that game regardless. I don't think they wanted to forfeit. It just happened like that. Now, is it a bad look? Yeah, it is. But sometimes things just happen, and this was a really unique situation that played out over a few weeks, and um, the teams had to deal with it, and they're doing their best to try to deal with it. But they've added a player, and Sarah Sylvester, who will play. Uh, she's playing basketball as well as volleyball. And, I mean, that's really cool that she's going to give it a go, and I'm interested to see what she can do. But they play Tuesday as well against uh, UCF, and then the men play Tuesday against Oklahoma State. Men really got to find a way to win. It's a must-win ball game. Got to dig deep, win on the road, and then reset at 3-3 three and three and hopefully, you know, rebound for the rest of the season. That'll do it for Locked 
on Horn Frogs today. Um, appreciate you guys joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. It's your team every day. We're free and available wherever it is that you get your podcast.